Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Okay, friends, if you've got your Bibles, uh, could you turn to Mark chapter 1? If you haven't got a Bible and you want an actual physical Bible, there's a whole load there. Do feel free to grab one, or you can use your phone. Um, We started a walk through the Gospel of Mark about two or three weeks ago at um, a pop-up. And um, I made uh, quite a few comments as to why I felt like it was, you know, apart from obvious, just it's always good to be in the Bible, why, why the Gospel of Mark and, and why at this time of profound uh, disorientation and kind of deconstruction in the world, um, it just feels one of those times that if you pick any subject apart from Jesus himself, uh, even amongst Christians, you can end up being a bit divided and, oh, oh you know, it's difficult. So I just felt like, man, this is a great time, week upon week, to simply get around Jesus. And, um, you know, the, the promise is, oh, there's beans. You should be in the cabin. Um, the promise is, is that even until the day you die, which God willing will be a ripe old age, is that Jesus is so magnificent. He's so incredible and he's so other in many ways than we can imagine there is always more to see in Jesus. Amen? Amen? It's never like, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. He's this, you know, this sort of person I pop into my pocket and think about occasionally. He really is the God of the universe. Um, and so that's why we're coming to look at what this guy, John Mark, anyone remember about anything about the author, John Mark, which I explained last time? Quick quiz. Who was John Mark, we think? Anything we know about him? Angus? Yes. Luke. Um, yes. Uh, his family, I know his family were like quite wealthy. And yes. In yeah. Jerusalem, the last supper mm-hmm. was probably at his family's house. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And also, that's great, I guess, well done. Also, he was very likely the guy that caused a division between the great apostle Paul and Barnabas, which I just think these little facts are really interesting because that is the actual flesh and blood man that wrote these, these words. And you suddenly get more out of scripture when you go, oh my gosh, this wasn't some robot who, who, who wrote this. This was a man who could have thrown in the towel through shame and embarrassment or bitterness towards Paul, depending on how he felt about it. But he navigated bitterness and he navigated shame and he wrote this incredible gospel that now in academic circles is like the celebrity gospel because everyone thinks it's the first one and whereas it used to be the, like, the puny little brother to the other ones, now everyone's like, Mark! So if in the academic world, Mark is, this, is a big deal. And the guy who wrote it, I love this, kind of was, you know, he had a past. He had a, a life story to him. What do we know about the, the likely audience that was probably the, the, the first recipients of this gospel? Where did they live, do we think, probably? Rome. Rome. Angus, you're on fire. <laughs> probably Roman citizens who have met the living Christ are now trying to follow the living Christ. And guess what? The Roman emperor is not pleased. And if you know anything about the first century AD, Rome, 
this is heading towards, or even potentially at the beginning stages, of some of the most ex- incredibly cruel persecution mm. that's ever happened on Christians. Mm. These people who have got this manuscript, who are hearing it, are literally facing that, being set ablaze, alive, tortured, because of following Jesus. So you think about those two facts. The author and the audience is incredibly important. You will see as we go through this. Oh, wow, that's why he talks about these things. That's why he emphasises some things. That's why he doesn't muck around with other secondary stuff. And interesting, he doesn't talk anywhere near about as much about other characters as the other gospel writers do. Because it's almost like John Mark's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know you love Paul and everything, and he's great, but he kind of hurt me. You know, he, I, I'm all about Jesus. I mean, I love other leaders, and they're great, and they're used by God. But let's get to Jesus fast, quick. It's like this sort of injection, like this EpiPen, poof, into you, so that you're stripping down everything other than Jesus. Which, when you're in a time when life is incredibly painful... Isn't that what you want? Mm-hmm. You, and, you know, it's good to have the other stuff, but when you just are in that place of feeling that pain, you just need Jesus. And today we're just going to look at a few verses. There's so much in here. I don't apologise for it. Ryan, would you mind just shutting the back door? Sorry. I know Beans wants to come and have already gone. But um, if you, could you ask Josie to put him in the cabin if possible? Thank you so much. Um, could somebody read verse 9 to uh, 13? And then somebody else turned to the similar or uh, the same account, but in Matthew chapter 3. Um, Tanner, would you mind just shutting that window? I'm so sorry. He, he's making his presence felt. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, if someone can go there, and verse read 13 all the way to 4 verse 11. Okay. Who can do the Mark chapter, the Mark short bit? Yeah, at Lauren. Th- at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Excellent. Can you go to verse, the end of verse 13? At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Great. So you see classic Mark, Captain Concise. You know, he, he basically, there's two big stories or incidents that we're looking at today. The baptism and the testing. And notice that they are together. Okay, that's very, very significant that they are, they, they are two different things. But the writer inspired the spirit is squidging them together. And we will see why that's so important. Mm. Who can read the slightly more elongated version in Matthew? Thanks, Hannah. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. (laughs) And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love with him, and I am well pleased. With him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Mm. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands and so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, before I talk for a bit, what just what what's what struck you? What caught your imagination when you heard this being read? When you read it yourself? It's a bit odd to me that uh, he references that it is written all the time. He's the son of God. It's just like mm. the fact that he's like referencing all of this uh, documentation of things to me is always kind of awkward. He's kind of telling everybody, but he's also saying it's written here in case you want to get back. That is fascinating. So if I don't want to put words in your mouth, are you saying that's, uh, I think you said it's an awkward thing. Do you mean as in? Yeah, as in like, he's the son of God, like he is all of, he's kind of telling all of these things, but he's also telling that like, it's written that that this is the way it's supposed to be and that this is, you're not going to test uh, that's always funny that he references the writing and the documentation rather than him just saying, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. So what do you think that tells us about Jesus's view of the Bible? I don't know. He was know, very what... aware that he was coming in fulfillment of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. Yeah, and he was proving that because there were a lot of Jews that he was born into and was uh, these Gospels were mm-hmm. being also you know, spoken to. Yeah. Matthew was the... Uh, apostle to the Jews, not Mark, but Matthew was specifically the apostle to the Jews, but he was constantly, but, but Satan knows scripture too, that's the mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. Know, Satan knows scripture, so he's, Jesus yeah. is like, it's like a battle of yeah. you know the word and I know the word, but I am the word. You know, Jesus yeah. is the word. Yeah, that's he's great. The word. That's really, I mean, I love that point, Sam, I think, you know, it could be argued that G- Jesus is demonstrating his belief in the authority of scripture. There's a book I've got, and um, I actually bought a couple of free copies. I didn't bring it down today, but it's called The Son of God on the Word of God. And it's written by a friend of mine who's a great theologian. It's about the authority of Scripture. And he's basically saying we can debate a lot, but one of the most helpful things is to say, well, what did Jesus think about the authority of Scripture? Because you can think about the origins of Scripture and the historicity of it, and we all at times are like, oh, can we definitely... What you know what I mean? It's a bit like, but he was like, well, look at Jesus. Jesus, if there's ever a person who didn't need to go, it is written in Deuteronomy, he did. And then his whole little book is incredibly easy to read, but it's basically saying he believes personally that the authority of Scripture is really real and huge and different. And the easiest way to get online with that is looking at what Jesus said about it. So if you want a free copy, I'll give it to you today because it's come up. Yeah. Maybe the providence of the Lord. Um, anything else? Anything on across the room that it struck you as you heard it being read? Yeah, to me, whenever I read this passage of the temptation, it's always the, the first thing that Satan says in every sentence, right? If you are the son of God. Right. It's like putting that doubt there. Are you the son of God? Hmm. Right? And... Sometimes it's like, am I a child of God? Yeah. 
by putting that and knowing that that is coming from from the enemy yes and then you can identify that 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 never that that is something that is never going to come from from god mm -hmm. god is never going to tell mm -hmm. you are you a child of god mm -hmm. yeah. Are yeah. you good enough for me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like God will ask that. So being able to identify that sentence uh -huh. as coming from the enemy, it's not from yeah. yeah. When Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, it didn't seem like Jesus is like screaming and fighting and punching. He's just mm -hmm. using his authority as mm -hmm. the son of God. We're the children of God. Yeah. Get thee behind me. You have no authority over yeah. me. Absolutely. So when we feel a satanic attack, it can be as simple as get thee behind me, Satan. We don't have to get it all hysterical. Yeah. It's interesting how the, the, the issue of questions is that Jesus used questions loads, didn't he? He was always answering a question with a question. So there, there can be a really good use of questions. But then but also you often find like Satan right at the beginning. And again, even here, he is the king of light. He doesn't necessarily, oh, God's not good. He'll just say, is God? Are you sure? And that's that kind of creepy technique where it's just enough to kind of undermine a little bit. Um, so that's another great observation. Anything from this side of the room that, that just maybe you hadn't seen before or just jumped out at you? Well, the comparison of the two Gospels, you know, one is definitely more detailed and mm. one is more direct. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we, just looking at Mark, um, uh, there's... Basically, God approving his son and sending him into the wilderness. Yeah. Um, yes. It, so that's just like the quick distilliz yes. distillization of, of what Matthew was saying. Yeah, absolutely. And to state the obvious, it is when we think about being a child of God, you know, that's one of the hot topics you hear sung about it's a lot of it is to do with like affection and he's our father and that's wonderful and that is totally true if you look at the, the scriptures you do if you ever do want to do a word study on sonship or do, you know being a child of god and what and and the, the scriptures associated with it you will be staggered at how many are about suffering yeah, yeah. it is extraordinary and it's not if you're a parent that is so weird because you tend to think of being a you know parent and like protection and, and nourishing, and, and but it is, a, I mean, here's a brilliant example. This is Jesus, I, this is my son, whom I love, oh, I'm pleased, <laughs> into this hellish experience, right. you know, for 40 days. Yeah. I mean, I've never fasted for 40 days. And a desert is a very scary place. I mean, you know, if you've ever been in a desert, this is not a joke. It is like, and notice, do you notice, in, anyone see one tiny little uh, detail that Mark adds in? Well, there it is. Anyone know why, or the, probably why? Think about who was the original audience. Yeah, and what were they potentially facing? Persecution. Yeah, and literally being thrown to. They think it's very. It's like so interesting that he added that. It's like Jesus gets it. He was this close to mountain lions. He knows what it is, and the angels were with him. But the angels didn't mean that there was no mountain lions. And that's really like, I've seen a bear and a mountain lion close in one day. I'm afraid of coyotes, are you? Yeah, coyotes. <laughs> I walk I have a whistle in case I see a coyote. I mean, it's, it's, it's just really, really fascinating how pastoral this is because he wants them to understand 
following Jesus does not mean you're not going to be very, very close to wild beasts, you know. Um, and there's literal wild beasts, but you could say that the worst wild beast was Satan himself, you know. And the specific temptations that he points are really specific. Now, there's so much in here. I know I've got to be really brief um, because of time. But there's a few couple of things I want to comment before jumping into the main thing I'm just going to lead us into. Um, notice, and this is fascinating, notice that it says here, um, that the first thing, notice it says heaven was opened. And there's, writers say there's three classic things that happen here that in Jewish tradition were like, whoop, 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 huge, you know, fireworks. This is, this is a big deal moment that we're, that we're all saying the eschatological age had begun at this moment. That means the beginning of the end. That's what the eschaton is. It's saying, oh my goodness. Number one, the heavens were opened. The, the, the actual word there is the heavens were torn. And that's what you read in Isaiah 64, where it says, oh, would you rend the heavens? And what it's saying is, is for 400 years, Jews believed absolutely, and it was seen to be true, that God had closed the heavens. And they were waiting. And, and, and we forget that we, we don't live in that age, but there was an actual age for hundreds of years where because of ultimately this repeated inability to follow Yahweh, there was this, 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 this period of time where the heavens were closed. And so there's this lament throughout so much of the prophets like, God, open them again. You know what it's like if you ever have a Barney with your, a loved one and they will not, you know, they turn their face away and you're like, please, I'm so sorry, I really am sorry. You know, that relational distance is horrendous. But there's a there's a, a time where God is like I'm gonna not I'm not gonna be close to you for 400 years. So the first sign the heavens were opened is a massive deal. The second thing it then says here, the spirit what descended. descended. And apparently in the Greek, and again I don't know why it's not in the NIV. It doesn't just say the spirit descended onto him. It says the spirit descended into him. Why did they not put that? That's so amazing. The spirit descended into him. Again, Jesus in his humanity, not just his divinity, needed, say needed. He needed desperately to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole sermon series on that, but we'll just, I'll just throw that there. Like he was filled, not just came on him like a little dove going, twitty, 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 you know. And again, there's a huge, like obvious, like parallel of creation. You know, it says the spirit hovered over the chaos and, and created. And there's this second creation moment happening right now. So, it, so you know, Mark, Mark in his classic, like Mr. Concise way, says it in like two verses. But for the early Christians, this was like monumental. And it wasn't what Jesus did. It was what happened to Jesus. This is a thing that happened to him. It wasn't something that he primarily did, although he did, of course, ask to be baptised. This was a huge moment. In fact, in the beginning of Acts, when they're replacing Judas, what's one of the core things that Judas's replacement has to have witnessed in order for him to be a replacement in the Apostles? You can probably guess from the moment. He had to have also been at the baptism of Jesus. You look in Acts chapter one, it says, because this was a huge moment. That's why if you've not been baptised, I just say by immersion in water, come and talk to me. I would love to talk through with you why I think it's a big deal. It was a massive deal for Jesus, him being absolutely baptised in water. However, the third thing, so the heavens are opened, the spirit descends, and then the third thing, and this is where we're going to land today, the words are spoken. And this is my big idea. 
and we've had a lot of Irish theme today. So, to a big idea today, my friends, if you want to, what is it in a nutshell so I can go, go, go back to sleep, Tom? It is this. And I'm, I've tried to make it into a title so you can really like, you know, scribble it down and remember it is. Being fathered beats the furnace of this life. Okay, so what I want us to see here above everything, and this is why these two being together is so profound. The temptations, the furnace, the fires of the temptations that Jesus experiences are common to us all to some degree. The way that Jesus almost sails through them It's not like this big sort of, uh, it seems like Jesus fairly easily overcomes these. And I actually think, can I say with humility, that that we can now, as we follow Christ, be confident we can overcome the temptations that God allows. The way that Jesus overcomes the furnace is not through working hard, is not through regular vacations, it's not through an amazing spouse who's just there for him. It's not through even friendships, because most of his friendship, friends let him down. The way that Jesus overcomes these incredibly hard, furnace-like trials is through being deeply fathered. And friends, the brilliant news today is this, is that I believe you and I, you know, Christ has achieved something for us in his life, death and resurrection. He's achieved it. But he also models something for us. He's a model to us as well. We follow in the way of Christ. And that's massive because can I ask you a question? Anyone here feel at times like you're almost ravaged by the wild beasts of temptation in your life? If you're really honest, you know, anyone else say, yeah, we, we can sometimes see, I don't even feel like I have the power to overcome them. But what we see here is that Jesus through his being drenched in the Father's presence, is able to overcome them. Now, I had never seen that connection, so that's why I'm a little bit more animated. Maybe you've seen that. Could I just see, yeah, he has, he gets wet, and the Father gets excited, and then, and then he gets tempted, and he does well. I'm not like Jesus, I wouldn't have done well, I wouldn't have lasted two days without a Mars bar, you know, or whatever they're called, Snickers, you know. And, um, but he here is an overcomer because of being fought. So let me just talk us through the three things in this one sentence that I think really express what it is to be fathered. Uh, verse uh, in, in, the, in the Matthew account, well, let's do it from the Mark account as we're in Mark. Uh, here we go. Verse 11, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. All right. A bit of alliteration just to help us today stay awake. Three things that the Father says about Jesus, at least three things. Now, you may look at those three things. You're my son, whom I love, with all I'm pleased. You may well have other things that happen in your mind as you read those, and that's probably fair enough. There's a lot in there. But as I studied it and meditated it and read around it, the three summaries that I would bring are these things. He's saying, I think at least, when he says, you are my son, I think he's saying, I'm proud of you. And I'll just mention that for a moment. Then he says, whom I love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. patient, love is kind. So I think he's at least saying, I love to be patient and kind with you, my son. And thirdly, whom I am um, whom well pleased. In the NLT translation, which is a great translation, it says, you, it brings me great joy. You bring me great joy. I love that. You're my son who I'm proud of and I'm patient with and you bring me great joy. 
uh, or you know, you bring, uh, I take pleasure in you. So, okay. And what I want to say is there's, it's no coincidence that there's three temptations that he overcomes. Okay? Hmm. I think it's because Jesus was kind of, oh, mercy. <laughs> um, Daisy, could you take beans into the, into the cabin? <laughs> Thank you, darling. Well, at least we know you guys really live here. Yeah, yeah, we really do. <laughs> For anyone on the anyone listening on the podcast, there's a lot happening this end. Let's just say that. Um, the wild beasts. Um, not, no, not that Amelia's a wild beast. No. Um, I met my dog. I met my dog. Okay, so, but this is important, okay? If you remember nothing else, remember this. I think, because you can meditate this morning, I think Jesus had it in his bones. Say bones. I re- and this is like, this isn't just a theological head thing. This is like in his heart, in his body, in his like neuro- neurological firings. I think Jesus felt... Didn't just think, I am, my father is proud of me. And I think he's so loving and patient with me. And I think he takes pleasure in me. And I think in those days, he was living with some version of that again and again and again. So when Satan came, it wasn't actually that hard for him to say, no thanks. And let me just show you the connection between like the filling, the powerful voice of God and the power to overcome. Number one, then, you are my son. All right, you are my son. Now, again, um, if I think about, if I, for example, sorry, Daisy, I'm going to pick on you. If, I, if I'm uh, meeting someone new and Daisy comes over and I go, oh, this is my daughter. Just what, what am I obviously, what emotion have I got in me if I do that? This is my daughter. Proud of her. You don't have to overthink it. It's like I look at Daisy and I think, oh, this is the interesting thing is the focus is really on her. She is significant is what I am saying. I'm saying I could have a daughter who I love and I could have a daughter that I'm not proud of. Let's be honest. You know, take, being proud of someone isn't necessarily automatic. It's saying something like, um, there's something in who, who you are that creates in me a pride and a respect. It's not just love, it's respect. This is huge. The father was saying, I really respect my son. Like I'm with him. Like I'm proud that he and me are going to be eternally connected. And when I think about my three girls and anyone who meets them nearly always goes, your girls are amazing. They're not perfect, but they are. They are pretty amazing. And it's like, I res- I, I'm like, yes, I am with them. And this is the feel here of this first thing. And I think Jesus lived with this sense of my father takes tremendous pleasure in me. He, or sorry, he, take, he has tremendous respect for me. Tremendous respect. And just think about this for a moment. You see, the honest truth is you may not have grown up kind of feeling that from your parents. You may look at this and go, yes, but you may not have actually grown up feeling seen or valuable. It may well have been just your parents had so much going on, they almost didn't have the bandwidth to even see you that much because of their own stuff, right? And so 
they may not have communicated. I really respect you. I deeply respect you. In fact, it can even be, you know, if you've ever had relatives that, you know, you're kind of ashamed of, or you may have felt like, I think I was almost, you know, there was a shame around who I was that I, I, I kind of carried. One of the reasons that we get so driven is because unconsciously we are craving feeling respected. We are, put it this way, we're trying to avoid shame. Shame is feeling like I'm not enough, right? I'm not enough. This city is filled with extremely gifted people with a whole truckload of unprocessed shame avoidance anxiety. It is the air we breathe. Why do people work, not just a reasonable amount, but like work partly because it's the expectation, I get it, but partly it's because all of us battle this sense of like, am I good enough? And I think what we see here is when he's saying, this is my son, this is my son, there's a sense of the respect that the father has for Jesus that now if you're a Christian in Christ, somehow in a way I don't fully understand, you can say with Jesus, he's proud of me. Like now, not when I get that next raise, not when I work for some famous company, not when I earn this. He is actually proud of me now. I mean, he sees me. Like, you know, just as I, and if it's helpful, just as much as I am so proud of Daisy. I'm so proud of all my kids, but she's sitting here. You know, I see her doing geometry and it's like, you know, a beautiful mind. And she's like, and I'm like, I could hardly do, you know, multiple, you know, addition, let alone that. Like there is a, there is a pride our father has. Now you may be saying, but Tom, what, you know, I get why the father's proud of, of Jesus. He's perfect. What about the thing, the mistakes I make? Isn't it true that even when you make mistakes and you're able to say, I know I made a mistake. If someone says that, don't you find that actually you grow in respect? You can almost become more proud of someone when they say, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm actually willing to, um, to admit that. So, I mean, having, having that experience of, I mean, even let me ask you, do you feel, do you feel aware of your relationship with the Father? Where he, you, you can almost access in your bones, in your, in your being, that voice when you wake up. He's proud of me. He's actually proud of me before I do anything. I had this experience recently where I was at a conference two weeks ago. And, um, you know, people are full of sympathy. Church planting in SF ain't easy, particularly plus a, a pandemic, plus 90,000 people leaving the city. And so all these wonderful leaders were just oozing uh, kindness and love. And... Um, and um, one guy who was the leader of the whole thing, who's re recently handed it over to a younger guy, who's like a cowboy, he's literally killed a bear with a bow. Well, Sorry, if any of you, I know, was, can't sell it to San Francisco, but um, you know, he, he's tough, right? He's like a cowboy guy. And he came up to, and I'm not that guy, all right? <laughs> I'm a, uh, I'm very different. You know, I'm dramatic and I'm more like Frasier. You know, like I get, I get in, a, I get in a, all confused easily. And he came up to me and he lit, just, I don't even know him that much. And he grabbed me by both shoulders and he looked me in the eye and said, Tom, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. He said, lesser men would have given up 
a long time ago and you have kept going. And I'm so proud of you. Well done. Now, you, when he did that, it was like a very specific thing. He wasn't saying, it wasn't specifically saying, saying I love you. At that point, he's saying, I respect you. The decisions you've made, you didn't have to have made them. And I am so proud of you. And it was just like this, having an older man put his hands on my shoulders, who I respected. It had to be someone I respect. Isn't that the way it works? You may have had someone growing up who's like, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. You're like, stop it. I don't respect you, so I don't care what you think. I mean, honestly, isn't that true? There can be people who are gushy-washy, you know, and it's always like, oh, you're amazing. And I'm just a mess. And you're like, yeah, you are. And God loves you and I love you. But that you don't have, there's no like foundation for you to communicate respect (laughs) into me. So let me ask you today, my friends, is this in your bones? Is this at least something that you think, yeah, I want this. I believe this is theologically accurate. I, I need to have some sense of this because this is the only path to lack of drivenness. This is the path. This is the way that we increasingly go, you know, I may not be respected by others, but I am, I am respected by my father. So I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that. I hadn't. This week, I hadn't thought of it in terms of him respecting me. But I think we can say, just as he says over Jesus, this is my son, step one, I respect him. I'm proud of him. Like, I I actually like him. I think he's impressive. That's really important that you know that. Can I say, in Christ, you've got what it takes. I know that sounds a bit like motivational speaker, but it's actually kind of what he was getting at because he knew his boy was about to go through hell. And he didn't want him to just assume it. He needed, Jesus needed to hear it. And notice he doesn't say, this is my son. He says, you are my son. He's, he's like, we're eavesdropping on him, holding his face and saying, you're my son. Very few of us have had that humanly. So there's no shame if you haven't. But I tell you, friends, the great news is this. You can, even as of today, you can say, Father, help me to feel that and to know that. Because when you're full What happens is when I think then the devil says to him, oh, I can give you all the power and the glory. I think he's like, that's just not tempting. Mm. I'm his son. Do you see the connection? The only way we we can avoid the great thing that this world wants to offer, which is power and glory and power and glory. And I know I want it. The oh, my only hope to resist that massive thing and to stop being Gollum and actually, you know, to, to become a child of God is to know, oh no, in my bones, just as that guy grabbed me on the shoulder, one day very soon, I'm going to have my father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So first step is he's proud of you. Secondarily, he's patient with you. He says here, whom I love. And as I've said, 1 Corinthians 13 defines love in a very specific way. It says love is patient and love is kind. And, and it's interesting if you think about this like, I think Jesus didn't just know that the father respected him and was proud of him. I think he also knew that the father was his greatest source of comfort. Like, I, I don't know if you think of God being patient and kind with you. I think I would have sat here and said, yes, I think God is patient and kind with me. Here's the thing. Only up until two years, no, probably even one year ago, my head thought I believed that. 
The fact that I lived with so much almost uncontrollable anxiety at a, a subtle level, it wasn't destroying, it wasn't like really obvious, but I would wake up every single day feeling behind, every day. Before I got out of bed, I'm behind, I'm behind, I'm behind, I'm behind. My, my propensity to just try and do more was my body's way of telling me mm. that actually you, you may think you think <laughs> God is patient and kind with you. But your body is actually telling you that, you know, you don't believe that. You don't believe that. And I want you to learn to find comfort in a father who is kind and patient and loving. And this is the thing, it's, it's not even just about you thinking God is like that towards yourself. It's what is your relationship, it's not just your relationship with God. Oh yeah, God's patient and kind with Victor, that's true, and with Daisy and Tanner. What is Victor's relationship with Victor? And Daisy's with Daisy. Do you understand? It's not enough for God to be patient and kind with you if you're not patient and kind with you which sounds so obvious but I wonder if we could sneak into your inner heart and mind on an average day whether we would be shocked at the level that the inner critic is kicking you and pushing you and criticizing you and is anything but patient and kind and saying oh you're not as handsome as that guy pretty as that girl you're not as successful as this person and I think the second key here that when Jesus knew my father I'm your son whom I love. That, what that specifically at least meant was my father is patient and kind with me. He knew that Jesus, even Jesus in his humanity, couldn't be in two places at once. Even Jesus let people down. Even Jesus at times didn't heal people. He couldn't heal people. Even Jesus at times had his family be really angry at him and think he's crazy. Now, if you're anything like me, I would have thought, oh, I need to try harder. I've let these people down. But Jesus, I think, lived in the reality. No, no, my greatest comfort is in my father who is loving towards me. This is my son whom I love. And if my father is kind and patient with me, I need to be and learn slowly to be patient and kind with Tom. Does that make sense? Or is this just, I mean, this is, this for me has been so huge. And then you suddenly understand, again, if you connect it with the temptations, for me, you know, for me to really find my deepest comfort is in my growing friendship with a patient and kind father. Then I am a little bit, I don't want to overstate this, I'm a little bit more able to say no to comfort in other ways. Just a bit, do you know what I'm saying? I don't want to overstate it. You know, the equivalent to, here, have make these stones into bread. I'm a little bit more able to go, oh, that would bring comfort. And I want it. But I do feel like there's this, there is this comfort in the inner realm I'm starting to, to, to access. I'll tell you one of the most practical ways that this has come alive in me, and I've mentioned this many times and I'll keep saying it, if bless you, is through older men who are patient and kind. Like, this isn't just like a, you know, patient and kindness, these kind of vague ideas. Like, I need a face 
to embody a patient and kind person. So whoever you might know, and this I know of, of several older men in the, in, the, in the Bay Area, two of them hopefully you'll meet next week. I'm like, the reason I want us to be in their presence physically is because you are bombarded with people who are not patient and kind and want you to be like a machine to produce for your job. They're, not, they're nothing like the father over Jesus and the father over you. They're the opposite. So that's why the church is not just gathering around ideas. It's gathering around people. People who can literally be in your presence and, and you start talking to them and you're talking 100 miles an hour. And by the end of it, you're like, mm-hmm. It's slowing down. You're feeling the vibe of patience and kindness. Um, I, I've had Zoom counselling for a year and a half from a, this wonderful friend of mine, Jim from Chattanooga. He's just an older guy, but who is patient and kind. And I, and I record the Zooms so I can watch little bits again. Because I tend to have an anxious spirit at times inside and I'll just watch it. And after a few minutes of him just talking about anything, I'll feel different. There's something happening in me that's, oh yeah, God's like Jim. Really crazy, funny, little vulnerable moment. Because God wants you to believe this, right? And he is setting up like little love post-it notes all around your life to get your attention, to say, I'm patient and kind like I was to Jesus. That's your comfort. I watched this thing called Chicago Med. Anyone here seen Chicago Med? No one. Homework is to watch Chicago Med tonight. Okay, so I'm deadly serious. Chicago Med. Victor's <laughs> looks very confused. It's about an emergency room, downtown Chicago. It's crazy. All these doctors trying to save people, right? And there is one older gentleman who is the chief of psychiatry called Dr. Charles. Seriously, I was watching this. Jason was like, hey, watch this. You know, let's just watch this program. And it's chaos and people are getting shot and all that. And there's lots of people who come in who are mentally ill. And they're pretty aggressive, a lot of them, because they've got, you know, illnesses that cause an aggression. And everyone's like, oh, I'll get Dr. Charles. Oh, this person's scary. And he just comes in. He's like, hey there, how are you? <laughs> and every time he loves well one person at a time. And he sees beyond the presenting aggression. And he sees the person who has, nine times out of ten, some actual medical illness. And he's, his kindness in the face of... So much chaos. I felt God saying, I'm quite like him. I'm not scared by the chaos of this world. Mm. And it's a rare thing, okay? This is not common to find people like this. So I'm, I literally have on my phone, Dr. Charles at the moment. Oh, it's recording, you can't see. <laughs> I have a picture of Dr. Charles to, rem, to remind me. And you might think I'm crazy, I don't mind. Uh, Oliver Platt, gentleman about... Oh, he's great. Yeah, he is. Now... I believe God can use all things. I really do. Absolutely the Bible, of course, ultimately. But I would just say, even as you hear this, like, is there a sense in which you're living in some measure, you know, that your father is patient and kind with you? Can you say over yourself, I'm learning to be patient and kind with myself? Because here is the thing. As you love yourself, you don't become narcissistic. You become loving to others. Isn't that true? You can only give out to others what you yourself are receiving from the Father and over yourself. And I think that's why Jesus is able to actually overcome the bread thing, which is a comfort thing pretty easily. Final thing, and then, and then we'll finish. The third thing that we see is that he says, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. 
And the NLT, as I said, says, in whom I take great joy. So, you know, this is also true, right? You can have respect for someone and you can even be patient and kind with them. <laughs> but you, don't, you, might, you might not actually really like them. You know, you can, I can respect this person in certain ways and I'm, I'm loving them. You know, I'm showing patience and kindness. But the third thing the Father says over Jesus is not, I don't just, just respect him. I'm not just patient and kind and loving him and provide a safe father, fathering for him. But I actually take pleasure in him. I don't just love him, I like him. Like he creates in my inner being pleasure. Now this is so huge. Like if you, as humans, you, you're hardwired to be respected. And if you don't get it from the father, you'll get it, you'll try and get power and respect anywhere else in this world. You're hardwired for love. If you don't get it, if we don't get it from the Father and agree with it over ourselves, we will be so vulnerable to trying to get it anywhere else in the world. But thirdly, you're hardwired to actually like yourself. Now, I'm not saying that, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying um, in a way that's uh, sinful, but it's important, you know, for, for our kids to grow up knowing that me and Josie actually like ourselves. Like we know our Father's really into us just as he was really into Jesus. And with us, he sees the ways that we're not right, but he's actually like really takes pleasure. Like there's something in my father. It's, it's like I matter to him. Your presence matters to him. Even if, even if you are never famous, even if you're never rich, even if you have a really humble job, even if you can't even find a job, your presence on planet Earth now somehow through Christ is, is something where the Father says, you, you literally create joy in me. Now, I just, I mean, there's times again, got to do another dad uh, illustration, sorry about this. There's times where I will just stare at my girls. Bit weird. Um, but I will, and I will want them to know I'm staring at them. Oh, I'm not doing it primarily for that, but there'll be times, <laughs> sorry, Dave, you're going to regret staying in and sitting opposite me. <laughs> But it's true because, you know, I just look at them and I think, man, I love the way Daisy has these great teeth. They're really great teeth. And I love the way her eyes are like almond shaped. They're really beautiful. And I love your colour of your eyes. And Daisy's really blessed because unlike me, I have very fuzzy hair. Daisy just washes her hair and it looks so shiny. And then I think about Daisy's character and I love the fact that she's so good with kids. Like, I, that's not always the case, right? And I know I'm making you feel awkward right now. That's fine, I don't care. And even Daisy. But I love the fact that Daisy's really kind with kids. I love the fact that Daisy can laugh about herself. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most amazing things is she can be Shrek and laugh at herself and be phenomenal. I love the fact that Daisy can be extremely upset about something. And three minutes later, she's fine. She's, over- <laughs> she's overcome the volcano and she is back. I, there's so much that, that, that creates pleasure in me. Do you understand that? Mm-hmm. She's not some, you know, that is Daisy. She's different from Lily. She's different from Poppy. And I'm like, man, do you understand? That's my imperfect, broken, tiny representation of, of Daisy's, of the pleasure that Daisy creates in me. That she sort of draws it out of me. It's like a chemical reaction. And, 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 and I know, um, I don't know. I just think, I just want to feel my father's pleasure, right? Don't you want that? Just like one percent. If my father, all this life, is looking over you, it's amazing. 
looking over you going, there's so much about you that creates pleasure in me. And when I get that, when you get to the end of your life, which may well be quicker than you think, and you see him and you're with him in paradise, and the kindness of Jesus is just like, I'm so excited you're here. That is legitimate orthodox Christianity. That's not some weird, wacky thing. That is why people die for the gospel. Because it's like, there's nothing in this world that can compare with that. When, that, when the spirit of like, man, I really matter to him. And you, you need to have that in your bones. That's, the, that's why Jesus could say, I'm not going to test my father. Because I, I, I know he's sensitive to me. I don't have to try and get him to do something. You know, I, I can be tempted to try and get God to do something for me when I think he's passive. If I'm in pain and I think he's passive, I can be tempted to do the whole like, my, you know, do anything to get God to act. Anyone here ever feel like that? You know, it's a bit weird, the temptation to jump off a temple. Not exactly tempting, but the basic idea, I think, is like doing something dramatic to get God to act. And I think I'm less, I'm less vulnerable to that temptation of trying to get to control God if I'm aware that I particularly bring delight to him. It's like that, that is less of a temptation when I think, no, I'm actually... I'm not just part of the crowd. I'm known by my father. I think, you know, I wonder if I make God laugh. I don't know. I wonder what emotions you create in God when you do things that no one else sees. I wonder what emotions. And I'm not talking about conviction of sin, although, of course, that's part of it. What about, like, the stuff that you do right? The way you've grown. And he says, well done. Well done! And you don't even say it over yourself. And he's like, I've seen that, Sam. I've seen how you, a year ago, you wouldn't have done that. And now you're doing that. Come on, heaven. Let's praise it. He, you know, there's pleasure in God. My great spiritual father, Mike Betts, you remember him saying to me this question? Because I said, I haven't really, I feel conviction of sin a lot. I don't feel like I always feel like conviction of his pleasure. Anyone here feel like that? I'm always kind of, yeah, I can feel this. This isn't right. This isn't right. But I don't feel like aware of, convicted of, like his pleasure in my good stuff. <laughs> and he said, can you imagine in your mind now, like your father in heaven, rejoicing over something you've got right today? Like a specific thing you didn't have to do, but you did do. Can you imagine in your head him rejoicing, not just for 10 seconds, but for like a long time? And getting really excited and like going on and on and on, just really enthusiastic about that thing that you did or that thing you thought. And as he said that, I thought, no, I, I struggle to imagine that. Okay? And if that is in, in, any, in any way an encouragement to you, then receive it. And I think for most of us, it's very hard for us to actually think, I create pleasure in God. But I think, I think, and you can debate this with me afterwards, I think it's legitimate to say that's why Paul says you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. If, you're, if we're in Christ and Christ could say, my father is proud of me, he's patient, kind and loving with me, and I create pleasure, like he takes pleasure in me, like he says, with whom I'm well pleased, he creates joy in me then man, I, I just think, man, this is, 
this is something to pursue. I um, Final thing I'll say is this, is, um, again, just mentioning uh, uh, this conference I mentioned a couple, you know, that happened a couple of weeks ago. I don't know about you, if you ever go to conferences or gatherings, I find when I'm with lots of people, it kind of can bring up to the surface parts of me, you know, that I didn't realise were there, <laughs> you know, and I want to be kind of superstar Tom or I want to be, I don't know, just something that is more than I need to be. And um, insecurities can come and just people pleasing. And I just noticed, even at this conference and at what I was at a few months ago, I just thought, man, do you know what? When I'm with people, there's something different now. There's something that has actually like almost neurologically, physically shifted in me where I can be with them, even great leaders who I would have unconsciously felt inferior to or shame and I would have wanted their approval, et cetera. I, and I would have tried to control things and network conversations and, you know, schmooze and all that stuff and hustle. I thought, I just, I don't need it. I mean, these are good, these are not bad people. I still love them, but they're just people. And I was like, man, I'm growing. I'm actually growing. This wasn't 40 days in the wilderness with no food. But it was like, man, I am able to, because of not just having my father say, I'm proud of you. I'm patient with you and I take pleasure in you. But here's the thing I'll finish with. For me to be able to almost say that over myself. I think I've shared this before. I'll say it and she knows I'm going to share this. It's not Daisy, don't worry. One of my kids in the mornings would often be very angry within a few minutes of getting up. She'd be dressed, but her room wouldn't be neat and everything. And, or she would think it's not. And I'd come in and half, half asleep, you know. She's already dressed, her room's immaculate, her bed's, you know, her, her bed's done. But for a while, particularly, there was a season where she was really, like, sort of angry. And she was angry with herself, but it kind of came across as, like, angry to everyone else. And I was like, honey, darling, good morning, great to see you, I've missed you, how are your sleeps? And it just went on, and, and I was like, this is crazy, like, I don't care if her bedroom's neat or tidy, particularly. I don't, you know, I, I'm amazed that she's already up. I genuinely, like, there's a, even though I'm half asleep, there's a pleasure thing that's happening in me. And it dawned on me, like, I can love her like crazy, but unless she kind of receives it and agrees with it, it's just going to bounce off her. And it's like, my love is in vain. And the thing is, I was like, man, this is crazy. And I was like, I was almost saying to her, honey, you need to love yourself. Like, you need to see me and be patient and kind and respect yourself and be, take pleasure over yourself in a small way that is in agreement with your dad. Or else it's, it's pointless. And it's actually really frustrating for me because she's living with this, like, self-hatred at a very young age at 6.15 in the morning. And she might not have called it that and that's a bit over the top, but, yeah, there's an essence of that. And I suddenly felt the father say, man, you've been doing that for 44 years. Really unconsciously, you need to agree with his kindness and love and patience. And not just love and patience, but delight in yourself. So let me pray for us and then we will finish.